everyone. This podcast is brought to you by Global Shop Solutions ERP Software. Simplify your manufacturing by scheduling a demo at globalshopsolutions.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Upside Swings NBA Draft Podcast, the podcast of the highest ceiling. I'm your host, Bryce Hendricks, joined always by the great Cooper Klein and the wonderful Stone Hansen. The next in our series of guests here to talk the Pacers, the great Mark Schindler. Uh, we could have brought Mark Schindler on to talk about just basically any team or, or anything because he is the foremost basketball marathon man. Uh, he is everywhere. Uh, host of Tag the Roll, host Indy Cornrows with the great Caitlin Cooper, co-host the Athletics Daily Ding, um, writes for Basketball News, and his newest venture has been something I've really, really enjoyed. Uh, his writing for the WBA also does, has a Patreon that he does writing for, so lots of stuff going on. My friend, Mark, how you doing? I'm good. Uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, draft season is upon us. We're 31 days away, or I guess 30 days if this is dropping tomorrow. Um, so we're in full swing with all things basketball. It's been a, it's been a very busy time, but I'm psyched to be on. It would be very nice if this is dropping tomorrow, but I think it's dropping in like five days. <laughs> Sorry, well, close enough. I guess twenty-six <laughs> yeah. days away. Yeah, we'll figure it's it's at some it's at some point soon. Maybe not. I don't know. Who knows? It's time is a flat circle at this point, yeah. so it's all it's all going. Coops, stone, my friends. Um, you can tell I'm I'm tired, but we're we're getting through. I'm very excited to talk Pacers. How are you guys doing? Yeah, really, really excited. Uh, you know, I say this every time. This is going to be a really fun episode. Got a great guest on. Uh, this is, you know, a fun young team with a high pick that we actually get to talk about. So very excited. Yeah, it's interesting doing these how we do because it's not like we're just going like one through 30 in the draft. Like, so sometimes we'll talk about a team that just has the 33rd pick and is very old and only plays six guys. And now we're talking about a team that has a ton of guys I'm interested in has the sixth pick has also the 31st pick. So some stuff they can do there, just a lot of interesting, uh, a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. So let's just dive right in, not waste any time. Uh, the Pacers had sort of an interesting season. I think they came into the year expecting to win. They did not. And uh, they made the move at the trade deadline to move on from Demonis Sabonis and grab Tyrese Halliburton. So just in general, Mark, obviously, there was quite a bit of tumult throughout the season. How would you describe the Pacers' year? Uh, that's a great way to put it. Uh, bad, I think, is a fine way to put it. Um, for being honest, like like you mentioned, I think this team came in expecting, um, or at least hoping, uh, that they would be a playoff team, um, potentially break through to the second round if things uh, went really well. That did not happen. Things did not mesh whatsoever. Um, injuries happened throughout the roster, but there was just a lot of, uh, a lot of things just not gelling correctly. Um, and they made the trade for Demon. I mean, with Demonis Sabonis for, uh, for Tyrese Albert and they traded Kar- Karis LeVert really started to kind of change up the direction of the team. And now, um, in all fairness, we still don't really have a really great clear direction, uh, from the organization on where they want to go, but I'm hoping we'll have a much better idea after, after the draft happens. Yeah, uh, just this morning I went back and, and listened again to the pause you did with PD on AJ Griffin. And, and later into that, he said something that sort of really resonated with me and that it's just, it really feels like this franchise has kind of kicked the can down the road a lot. So when they finally made the decision to move on from Sabonis and they got a very good deal for him, as I think we'll get into here in a second, um, it, it, you kind of hoped they'd be picking a direction but it still hasn't quite felt like that. Is, is that sort of the read you get, Mark? Yeah, uh, I think what's really difficult, and I uh, maybe I'm partially unbiased because I, I watched Pacers a lot, but I think that in some ways um, the, the trade got a little bit oversold for Indiana. Like I like Tyrese Albert and a lot of things, a fantastic basketball player. I think he's going to be really good. Um, already does a lot of things really well, but um I think I am a lot, and especially too after Tyree. I, I already was before, but after the trade too, especially watching all of his games, I'm just a little bit unsure of uh, what Tyrese is going to be at, at his most optimized. I think is where I'm at. I would really like to see the team try and force him into becoming, you know, whatever the most he can be on the ball is. Um, I don't want to say that they didn't do that, but there was also. Um, I mean, part of the issue is there is some unwillingness from him as a shot creator and and taker. Um, And I I think what will help define 
where the Pacers are going us is if they can get him to become that guy. Because if if you make that trade for Tyrese and he doesn't become that guy, I still think, you know, not that it's like bad value or anything, but um, it just makes it a little bit more moot for me. Because in some ways, if they don't keep shifting things around and really making things different, it just feels like another reiteration of the team that we just saw over the last five years. So not yeah. to make it completely uh, negative to start off with, but I, I think there are a lot of good things to be excited about with this team. Um, but again, like this, this draft and this offseason is a really big swing for them. Yeah, I, I actually think, you know, Halliburton is very interesting to me. He's someone who I was fairly low on in his draft year. I had him about where he went, but there were quite a few that had him top five. And I really think I've been somewhat proven wrong. I didn't expect him to be even the level of shot creator he is, but there's still a bit of that, like, He's so unorthodox, like the handle's just different than you normally see. It's better than I expected it to be, I think, but um, just does some funky stuff. And I'm interested to see what his development arc looks like. And when trying to identify like what a core moving forward was for this team, there were really two separate ones I could kind of see. You have your young guys, only one of which I think is fully, fully established, established in Tyrese Halliburton. But then also Chris Duarte and Isaiah Jackson, I think, are very interesting bets um, that I'm excited to see moving forward. And then you have sort of your older guard, who I'm very interested to see what the Pacers decide to do with them in this offseason. But before we get into those older guys, Mark, how do you feel about that young trio right now? Or is there anyone else you maybe throw in that that you think is just as valuable or more valuable? Or how, how do you just feel about that trio as a whole, potentially building together, stuff like that? Um, I... <laughs> I mean, it's not bad. Like, I would, again, I think Tyrese could be an all-NBA player at some point. Um, I think Chris is going to be a starter in the league for a while. I'm not sure what to think of Ajax. I think the flashes were really good. Um, but I also thought that the team started, to, especially when he was playing more NBA minutes, they started to kind of um, pigeonhole his role. And I didn't really understand it, especially, like, I thought, you know, watching him at Summer League and, uh, you know, when he spent time in the G League, I was like incredibly intrigued in who he could be. And I still am, don't get me wrong, but like they went from, you know, he took, I think he took like six or seven threes in a G League game and like his like short stint in the G League, he was looking like what they had talked about, like a face-up for somebody who they want to develop his passing flashes, develop his face-up game, develop what he can do as a, as a shooter. And um, he played almost all of his minutes in the NBA at the five, uh, even when he played minutes with Jalen Smith. So um, that made me a little bit, more confused on where they're at with him like he really just didn't take threes in the NBA um like he did occasionally but for the most part it seemed like he wasn't comfortable taking it he didn't even look to most of the time so uh he's somebody I'm really interested to see what happens with next year because I'll be a lot lower on that draft pick if they don't actually try and develop him into you know the guy who could be like you know a very very interesting uh forward in the league yeah um Jackson is fairly young he's a um january 10th birthday i think um yes january 10 2002 so that's about like that's like average age for your class if you're not a basketball player but that's fairly young for your class if you are a basketball player because of all the reclasses that tend to happen and, and such but um i think there's upside there with jackson i wasn't huge on the pick as it happened i was just um you know at the time there were still two bigs ahead of him and and i just Indiana is not a team that I had thought was particularly creative um, in the past. And I thought Jackson really needed a creative ecosystem. So I'm interested to see if they can foster that. And then I think we're on the same page with Duarte. It's just like, he was such an obvious, this guy, if he's healthy as a starter in the NBA at some point, you know, what the upside is around that is maybe a debate, but uh, I think he's at least a bet to be a good two, three wing type that takes me to sort of that second group that I mentioned. That's Miles Turner, Malcolm Brogdon, TJ Warren, TJ McConnell, and Buddy Heald. Obviously, very different levels of players. Some of the guys I threw in there are, are lesser than others, but um, I think they're all interesting. And I just, not even about the guys specifically in this tier, but just in general with this tier. I mean, there's been quite a few of them thrown around in trade rumors. Just how do you feel like the Pacers value them going forward? Do you do you think they're mostly guys that they're going to hold on to and try and build, you know, at least a semi playoff contender? Do you think it's might be a max exodus from these guys? Just what do you think the Pacers are looking at with these guys? 
my hope is mass exodus if we're being completely honest i think that we're just kind of like like you talked about like caitlin and i talked about with pd like um they have been kicking the can down the street for a while and i just uh I, honestly if miles doesn't have the stress reaction in his foot i don't think he's a pacer anymore um i mean a lot of reports came out about how that really diminished his value in trade talks um so i'd imagine that at least i would be surprised if he's around too much longer and i i like miles a lot i think he's a really good player but um, I'm just kind of at the stage, especially after drafting IJAX. Like I just am. Let's see what's going on here. What can you What can you do uh, with Malcolm? I think I have a lot of questions about Malcolm and Tyrese's fit so far. Um, it hasn't looked good. You'd think on paper that there is um, more Karina's there, and it's something that I want to see more of before I'm like fully um, against it. But also, I'm not sure if I or the Pacers want to see more of it. Um, like obviously, he's been mentioned as a potential trade guy since their season ended pretty much. Uh, and I bet that that probably happens. Um, he didn't really come here to be part of a, a, a down team. And um, I'm a lot less high on what this team could be next year than I think most people are. Um, as for TJ, well, TJ Warren, no idea. I think that's my best way to put it. Uh, he hasn't played basketball in two years, which sucks, especially considering what he was doing in the bubble. Um, like, you know, I, 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 I actually think that it's more likely that he's here next year than Miles or Malcolm potentially, just because I don't know where else he's going. You know, like, I think that there's a real chance that he just resigns and, and plays on like a prove it deal or something uh, and is, is load managed throughout the year. But um, I, I don't know. That, that one's that one's tough for me. I'm not really sure what to make of it. Um, TJ McConnell. He just doesn't really fit what a lot of what Rick Carlisle wants, um, which I like, like you talk about the creativity aspect. I think that's part of one of the things I was most bummed uh, out about would be the wrong way to put it. But like, I didn't particularly love how Rick handled a lot of things this season. You know, it was, a, again, it was a tough roster to deal with in some ways, but um, like routinely spacing TJ out to the corner, having him off the ball. Like if you're not going to use him to primarily run the offense on, on your second unit, then you may as well not have him out there to an extent. Um, and then with Buddy, I think that they just need to trade Buddy, for being honest. Like, I think if they're trying to be competitive next year, I understand keeping him. He played really well um, on offense for them uh, at, after the trade deadline. Uh, but I also think part of that was a little bit inflated by the pace they were at. Um, but I, I mean, like, even if you are trying to be a rebuilding team, like, I think there's still value on having a guy like Buddy who can just be a really good shooter and, you know, create open lanes and, and do things for you that are positive. But um, ultimately like any of those got five guys, like I could understand them not being back next year for the most part. Yeah. I definitely, I definitely get where you're coming from. I think I'm with you that TJ Warren is the most likely to come back because I actually think it'd be interesting to just see like, you know, in the games he plays, because he probably will be load managed wherever he's at with um, the really rough two seasons he's had, like what this team looks like with a wing score and without a wing score. I don't know. Like, I, I think that's like interesting developmental stuff, depending on where they go in the draft. And, um, you know, there's some other guys who I, I have written down because they all interest me. Like, I actually do like what Kevin Pritchard does around the margins a little bit, uh, especially O'Shea Brissett strikes me as one of the better um, you know, obvious UDFA bets in, in recent memory, uh, really just, I thought he was super undervalued because he was playing in the Syracuse zone and, and that obviously really flattens your defensive reads. But, um, I thought he was a really smart player and I think he's proven to be that, um, at, in a wings body, a solidly athletic wing body, um, Dwayne Washington jr. I wasn't huge on, but I think he's interesting and he's done some fun things, especially in the G league. And then Terry Taylor, for me, guy that came out of nowhere, just, um, I, I mean, out of nowhere, just really excellent rebounder hustle guy. And then Jalen Smith, I thought was an interesting addition last year. And just, um, I, I just wonder, like, do you think any of those guys have like a future? Just, just, you can, you don't have to talk about all of them, but just in general, is there anyone else around the mar margins you're kind of interested to see maybe step up into a bigger role this year as the Pacers maybe take a step back? Um, I actually think, uh, like, Loki, that, O'Shea Brissett probably is who I would be most in on, you know, in this entire group moving forward in his future with the Pacers. Like, I think that there's legitimately, legitimately a chance to becomes like a, a viable starter on a pretty good team. Um, 
I have a lot more faith in where his three is at now. I think it's still streaky, but um, the willingness is there. I think he's really improved his versatility too. And that's, I mean, obviously going to be a work in progress still. He went from, uh, I think his, uh, so the, the year that he signed from Fort Wayne to come and play with the team um, after the G League bubble, he was like, uh, I think he drove to the rim less than like 20 times in that entire like 20 game stretch that he played. And he, I mean, he was, I think he was driving like four or five times per game off the catch this year. Um, it's right around there. It was, it was, it was obviously much higher than, than the year before. Um, finishing on drives is a problem though, but I think I'm very much in the vein where like, if you can get there, that's the majority of the battle. Like we've seen with like, there are a lot of forwards you can bring up who have funky games. Like Darius Baisley went from a guy who really struggled to finish at the rim, but was able to get there to being a lot better at it this year. Still not perfect, but like you can see him developing counters and some pacing and tempo. Um, I think that's going to be the next stage for O'Shea. He has like real problems with midair adjustments right now. And I think that'll be a work in progress, but I'm more in on him becoming somebody who's at least like maybe a slightly below average to average finisher on drives, um, which just makes him a much more viable player. And if he figures that out, like I think he's legitimately a starting four in the NBA. So I am. Yeah, uh, I'm definitely with you there. Yeah. And not to interrupt you, but uh, someone I always like to point to, I think Miles Bridges is the ultimate recent example of that. Like, despite being an awesome athlete, like Miles Bridges was a pretty bad finisher his first mm-hmm. two years. And it's just really uh, improved at like a very, like, uh, I don't know, the term high rate, I guess, uh, in recent years. So definitely with you there. That's something that I, I view as generally improvable. If you can get there, uh, you'll start to develop the counters to NBA rim protection as it goes along. Dwayne is like interesting as a um, just an off-ball scorer. They really... Sh- Earlier in the year, they let him run a lot of the offense, and that was not awesome. Um, like, not to be unfair to him, but, I mean, he was a he's a second-round rookie. Like, I wouldn't expect it to look good. Um, but then they started using him just more as a as a movement shooter, and it, it looked pretty good. Like, I don't love his defense. I think that he um, tries defensively, and there are some things that he does okay. Um, if the movement shooting gets there to a level where it can keep, you know, get – I mean, like, he had some really awesome moments – um, again, it was pretty streaky last year, but um, for a team pretty bereft of shooting, like I thought that was some someone who I think is worth investing in and seeing what he can do. Terry Taylor is awesome. Like I, I love what he brings. A lot's going to be dependent on him becoming a shooter because Rick Carlisle is pretty averse to non-shooting bigs. I mean, uh, I wouldn't even necessarily call Terry a big, but like part of the issue is like he is going to get typecast as a big. And if he can't shoot, then it's going to just make it like already this year, there were times where I thought that he could have played more, but didn't. Um, I love what he brings. I think that he's going to be awesome. Um, but a lot, again, a lot's just going to depend on the shot. And Jalen, I just don't think he's going to be back, honestly. Like, even if he is back, I think that very much so makes me want to see what they look like without Miles. Because, like, I, I don't know. Like, I need to see Ajax play at the four. I need to see Jalen just get to do more too. Like, and, and again, Jalen played a ton at the four this year. So it's just the front court is super wonky. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm interested to see where it goes. I, the, the paces are at a point where they could be one of the most fun teams in the NBA next year. If they're really bad. And if they're trying to be good, I, they will be one of the less fun teams for me. So it's sort of an interesting dichotomy, but I think that does sort of transition to what I know most people are here for is here. Let's talk about the draft. Um, you know, Mark, when we did this last year, you were sort of, just dipping your toes into draft stuff. And since you've become a real draft expert and and I really love your analysis on this stuff. So what do you think the holes that in this core that the Pacers are going to be looking to fill are at six at 31 and potentially at 60 that we obviously know that's a little different, but specifically six. And then I think 31 could also be a valuable pick for them. What do you think they're going to be looking to, to address there? Uh, one thing that will be interesting is uh, Kevin Pritchard in his uh, post-lottery presser mentioned that they uh, – well, he didn't directly say we're going to trade 31, but he talked about, like, having some some leverage there for teams that if somebody's falling in the, in the back of the first – excuse me, having the ability to use that as a trade chip. So he did mention that. But I agree, like, especially in this draft, I think that there are a lot of guys that I'm very intrigued by in, like, that 25 to 35 range – um, as for six though, what's so difficult, um, Kayla and I just recorded another pod today and on a prospect will be coming out tomorrow. 
and I think like our main takeaway just keeps being like as awesome as it'll be to get a player at six for this team, a lot just really depends on what their direction is going to be. Because I think in all earnestness, like I think the guy at six for me is, is AJ Griffin, but that's going to be very dependent on if they um, are willing to be risky with their pick, because if they're not, I don't think that there's a chance in hell they take AJ. Like obviously he has a tremendous floor just because of what his shooting is. Um, I'm probably not as into who he can be as a, as a shot creator as others might be. Like, I think that the flashes are real, but there's a lot that has to happen with, um, you know, his, his ability to be bursty and get downhill that I don't know that you can just grow. Um, but the defense is going to be a real issue, especially for like, if this team is trying to be good next year, which it seems like that's still a very real on the table thing. Um, I mean, we've seen Rick be much, much more willing to go with the veterans who've been on the team for like five days over a rookie who's been on the team the whole year. Like there were moments last year where again, Terry Taylor could have been playing and they brought Justin Anderson up from Fort Wayne and started him and played 35 minutes. So like, they're not going to approach any game for the most part, at least it based on if they, if they handle things like they did last year, it is not just going to be some learning experience bullshit. Like they're trying to win every game. Um, So I do think that makes it a little bit more interesting, but I mean, if, if it's not, if it's more of about like having an immediate fit and uh, like, I do think there is credence to that, like having somebody who can come in and play right away. Like part of the reason, like, I think people are a little bit too harsh with Keegan, not to just like get on my soapbox, but I think people are way too harsh with Keegan Murray due to age. Like, I think that there is a real viability of like, I can get on court ASAP and a coach is going to trust me. And that matters a lot because one of the biggest parts about the draft and development in general is like actually getting those high, uh, high leverage moments on court and getting opportunities to keep thriving. And like, it's like Keegan's going to have that. Like, I don't think he would be sexy at six, but I think he does answer a lot of questions. Like this team just doesn't have a four really like O'Shea is a four, but he's really more of a three who does four things. Um, I think, you know, he would be really interesting alongside Tyrese, especially with what he does as a, as a shooter off the ball. Um, and a lot is just going to be what can you get out of him, you know, uh, attacking closeouts and 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 finding more um, inside the arc that is off the bounce and not just, you know, off off cuts or um, set, set design. So that'll be interesting. Um, I think my other pick that kind of like merges the two for me, I love Johnny Davis, like love Johnny Davis. Uh I think it would be really hard to look at it on paper and be like, oh, I'm taking Johnny Davis over AJ Griffin. But I think I can also see and understand that from a, from a standpoint of like, if this team is going in a different direction, they move Malcolm Brogdon. I understand it for sure. Like I believe in Johnny being an all-star level player at some point. Um, I think he answers a lot of the defensive questions that they have too, because that's one of the other big points. Like they cannot come away from this draft without answers defensively because it's not just the Miles Turner didn't play for parts of the season. Like even with Miles on court, they were a bottom 10 defense by far. Um, they cannot get stops to the point of attack. I think Johnny's somebody who even like, you know, playing up a position too could answer some of those questions, um, especially off the ball as well. And I think he slots in really well as a secondary scorer um, off of Tyree. So I, I think like those are the three guys that I look at right now that I would be varying on. Uh, around six there are other guys that would be interested in, in as well because I do like as much as it's hard with where the picks are at I really enjoy a lot of the guys in the lottery I know it's again it's not like a a super high high-end class but I still think there's a lot of really interesting guys yeah I, I definitely think the fun factor of this class gets a bit underrated yeah. um Coop in our uh post lottery mock draft that we did off off the cuff and and without as much thought as I kind of wish we would have put into it but we had the Pacers taking Shaden Sharp at six as sort of what we thought was the most realistic selection. Not necessarily what he would do, but what we thought was the most realistic selection. So do you still kind of buy that? Or if you had to predict, you know, and again, there's not a ton of intel out right now, um, but it's uh, as time goes on, people will get linked to places. But as of right now, the Pacers haven't been linked to anyone in specific, uh, as far as I can tell. And uh, we're kind of just throwing darts at a board, but Coop, if you had to guess sort of the most realistic selection, who you would predict the Pacers to pick, who would it be? See, that's tough because when we originally did it, I did not 
think about it all that the Pacers might still be trying to contend or not contend, but be a, a force trying to actually win basketball games. Uh, like the assumption in my mind was where is this team going? Even if they somehow end up with like, even if their vets all come back and they do this, how good are they even next year? Um, so why not trade them? You already made this a bonus trade. I thought that was pretty indicative, but uh, if they're trying to go all in, I could pretty easily see them going Keegan here. If he's still available. Uh, I feel like he slots in pretty well with all their win now pieces, uh, you know, can slide in at the four Duarte at the three or next to TJ Warren. If he comes back, bunch of different stuff like that i could see if they decide to go the other way i think realistically it would probably be johnny davis i think he kind of toes the line between win now and high upside that they might be angling for uh and that fit is perfect between him and Halliburton. but then he's also able to maybe play more of a wing role next to brogdon or if you bring it in, like off the bench next to tj mcconnell uh, i think he's somebody uh like you were talking about, Mark, that he can come in and the coach can trust it. He can have that baseline because his, uh, his team defense is solid. His man defense is solid, has the shooting that he can kind of scale back into a lower role or scale up if you want to see the shot making. Uh, I don't know if either of those are my like ideal picks. I really like Johnny Davis, but I think that those are probably the two most realistic unless somebody else falls. Yeah, I, I definitely think... I, Johnny Davis is someone who I've said I wanted the, the Pacers take for a long time because there's something about um, his specific fit with Hal Burton that I think they can sort of maximize each other a little bit. Johnny Davis isn't the greatest shooter as of now, though I think a lot of his shooting issues behind the arc are just sort of a, a mental thing. I, I don't know if it was partially, you know, a great guard thing, not wanting to, you know, they we don't play that way at Wisconsin or whatever, but um, I just think like, I think he's a very good shooter who just didn't shoot a lot from behind the arc. Um, but I, I buy that that mid range game might um, pop out. And I think, you know, it, it, I think the star version of Halliburton is still not like a heliocentric creator by any means. And you still have to get those sort of secondary creators, guys who can attack closeouts, who can, I think Johnny Davis can probably run a competent pick and roll in the NBA as well at his size, who can defend multiple positions. So I think that would be a really interesting one for me. Stone, I know there's someone um, that you've mentioned a couple of times with the Pacers who you really like, um, you know, Arizona Canadian. Uh, do you want to hit on him real fast? Uh, I, I really liked Matherin uh, this season. I mean, I'm probably higher than most. I still actually the, the three that Mark brought up would probably be like the top three names that I would have brought up for the Pacers as well in terms of you know how they fit with this roster. Um, I, I really like Matherin. I think that he is, in my opinion, worthy of going this high. I'm just not sure necessarily I would take him for the Pacers this high. Um, I think that a, a lot of the off-ball shooting is really valuable, and I think he will be like a very good positional defender in terms of guard defense. I don't think he's he's probably big enough to guard up as much as you would probably hope for. But um, I think there's a lot of flashes of him as being uh, really the sort of developing on-ball player who, in my opinion, can be kind of a nuclear off-ball sort of guy um, when he when he really does get going in the right context. But um, yeah, I, I think if I were to look at Matherin and AJ Griffin was still there though, I'd probably just go in Griffin's direction if that were the case. Yeah. And, and I honestly, I don't want to belabor Griffin too much because I, I, I straight up just don't think we can say it better than, than they did on that pod, which I will link that specific Adrian Griffin pod in the description of this. I recommend everyone go listen to it. Um, but I, I think his fit is really interesting. Uh, Mark, there's a couple other names I wanted to throw at you and just sort of get your your idea on how they fit with this team. And the first one is Shaden Sharp. Um, you mentioned sort of risk mitigation maybe being playing a factor in um, in in the Pacers' decision making and and how if you were to take a risk, you'd like that to be Adrian Griffin. But I also think there's a world where you know if a team puts together like, well, here are two risks, and and they're looking at Griffin and they're looking at 
uh, Sharp. I think there is a world where even if I don't agree that they might end up with Sharp as the guy to take there. So how would you feel if, if the Pacers drafted Sharp at six? Uh, I mean, I would just have a lot of questions about what the team wants. Um, like, again, I think if this is a team that is very much focused on being better in three or four years, or I should say two or three years, not three or four um, then I think I would understand it more, but I think that's going to require a massive commitment and buy-in that I don't think we're going to get for being Frank. Um, like I just look at the playoffs, like Milwaukee, Boston, Miami, uh, those are teams that are going to be, uh, pretty competent for the next two or three years. And I don't see this team having the goods to compete with them, uh, at, at that high of a level, especially in a playoff series. Um, I think for me, like I like Shannon, but like, my issues right now are just more so I, I don't think that he has an awesome feel for the game. I, I don't think that he, I mean, not, I don't think like he does not really get to the rim self-created at all. The shot creation flashes are incredible. Don't get me wrong. Like, I think he, in terms of his actual profile as an athlete becoming an elite shot creator, like it's there, the shot doesn't always fall at the level you'd want it to. But I mean, the space he's able to create is pretty remarkable. Um, but he's still, like, I don't, saying project is unfair, but he's definitely to me somebody who's going to need quite a bit of G League time. And to be fair, like the, the Mad Ants have gotten a lot better with their development recently. They've made it more of a priority in recent years. So like, again, I think I would be okay with the pick, but that's just, uh, I would want to get a very defined direction so that they don't fuck up his development. Because I think he's definitely somebody to me, if he just goes somewhere and they're like, compete at the NBA level, which I don't think anybody's going to try and do that. But like, if you're expecting him to be like a good NBA player in a year, I think that's kind of insane. So um, I, it would just really depend. Yeah. I, Sharp is so interesting. Something I wish I would have uh, mentioned in our pod on him was that I, I, if you give him enough G league reps, I, I do wonder if there's a way to convert his East West space creation to some North South stuff. Uh, I don't think the burst is good and he doesn't really explode out of moves going downhill at all, but I just, like you mentioned, that space creation is so good. And the more I go back and watch Sharp, it, it really does just feel like it. They're just maybe maybe it's a wiring thing. I don't know. He's so he's so funky, and I I, I do think he needs a very specific context to succeed because um, there's only so much value in sort of players of his archetype if they can't get to the rim. So finding a way to either generate rim touches or making him you know, an elite off-ball player. I think you have to sort of choose one of those paths for him the second you draft him. And you have to really focus in on that. And we've seen that succeed, like 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 very focused development plans succeed, like very quickly. I think, you know, Franz Wagner was like that in some ways where it was just a very, like, they put him on a very specific development path and it worked. And, and I think it's going to continue to work. And I'm interested to see what happens with Sharp. The other name that I find really interesting, and this this the fit is funky, but you mentioned maybe thinking of Jackson as a four long term and really wanting to see him play there. And if the front office agreed with you, I think there is an argument for Jalen Duran as high as six. Would you, I, and assuming they get rid of Miles Turner, w- would you be in on that pick? I don't know where you're at with Duran in general, but. Oh, yeah. I have just like, frankly, like I could take Duran as high as fifth and I'd be like very cool with that. I think he's. Um, as much as like Chet definitely is to me, the best offensive prospect in the draft, like Dern is just about there too. Like he, the things that like, obviously he doesn't have the same uh, technique stuff down, but I think that's almost what makes him as, as impressive as he is. Like there's so much there to him to be coming. Like, I think he has legitimate defensive player of the year upside if things really hit um, and his feel comes around on both ends. Like obviously like he, he's weird. Cause he has like really good displays of feel, but it's more about putting it together consistently um but like i'm 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 there with you like i think if uh again if they're like very clear that ijax is going to be a four and they want to develop that and i think like if you're taking Duran, like you're very very much like committed to being a team in the future and not a team right now like i'd be very in on that like i just imagine that front court together if they could fully optimize and that's like very enticing um like the idea would be obviously like two bigs who can who can, who can do some things passing wise, who can run DHOs, who are incredible vertical threats. Like those would be the two best vertical threats that the Pacers have ever had, uh, especially in my lifetime. Um, 
I would be in on that. But again, like that's taking, and especially to like just hearing Tyrese get interviewed too, like he does not seem like somebody who is very content to lose ever. Um, but a, a lot, yeah, again, just on organizational buy-in and trying to find that out. But I would, again, like I think there's definitely cases to take during that high. Like I could see, I don't think that it would be unreasonable for the, the Pistons to, to look hard at taking during where they're at. I'm just going to say that counts as Rick Smith's erasure. So just Real, so okay. Well, he, he was just tall. You couldn't throw a lob up to Rick Smith and have him dunk. Like it was, that was not a, that was not a set play you could have. Uh, well, given what Mark has given us and, and, and what we've talked about, who would be your like absolute dream selection at six? AJ. <laughs> uh, I, I think AJ just makes a lot of sense here. Um, and I think uh, I'd be willing to take the risk even higher than as high as three personally. Um, but I think that yeah, at six, it's definitely a worthwhile bet for the Pacers, um, especially because like that's you. I, th- I think he has the best chance remaining of the guys that would be there to have like a legitimate shot of being more of like a star caliber player. And I, I just don't think that really comes around for the Pacers very often. So when you have a crack at, being able to do that i think you just have to take that swing even in the even if the risk is like sort of there um and i th- i think he just he fits really well with halberton i think and uh with the other um defense that they have in place you know with ijax and uh whoever else they keep around it's really hard to say obviously who, who's going to be their their future right now but uh, i just think he's a very moldable player in terms of how you want to use him um, in terms of where you put him next to players. I just think he can fit alongside a lot of guys um, and being able to take that opportunity at six, um, even though there's probably a, a decent amount of risk involved, I think you just have to sort of take that swing there. So I, I'd be very happy to get AJ at six. Yeah. Uh, adding no more nuance. I, I'm also HHA here. Um, I do have him at three. So I think um that that would be a pick that I would love but I'll say like for me it's a somewhat close second with him and Johnny Davis because I just I really want Johnny Davis to succeed I don't know why he's he was my favorite watch of this whole class and I just like I I think he's someone who does need um his high-end outcomes are unlocked by players like Tyrese Halliburton um and so i'd just really like to see him here i it's not necessarily the best fit for the pacers as it is the best fit for johnny davis but i also think you know if you're a young rebuilding team and you have two guys like johnny davis and like tyrese halberton who i think are both very competitive and very um like they play pretty intense you know you know halberton like as skilled as he is like does is a real competitor on the court and you can tell even if he does get pushed around a little bit at the point of attack but um so those are the two guys for me coop uh i'm, I'm guessing agj for you as well uh yeah i don't want to be too boring though but i did want to ask mark real quick about what what would you think if Jaden ivy somehow fell to the pacers here at six because i feel like that that kind of star yeah the just the star upside that you just don't really see in indiana See, that's where it gets interesting, too, because I think uh, to me and I would be like, again, this is a pick like if if Jaden Ivey's at six, like I you take it and run, in my opinion. Um, but uh, I think what what gets interesting then is I, I think that you're like not that him and, and Hallie can't thrive together. But I also think to me that kind of puts Hallie in, in a box a little bit. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think that you're just more um pretty like like not that you're again not that you're like making him a worse player but i do think you're you're kind of looking at the ceiling and be like all right we're in on Jaden as, as a guy who can become a primary for us like not again like obviously it's it's a little bit of sharing like there it's not as condensed as that but i do think um given what you're going to want to get out of Jaden as a player eventually like you're not just drafting him to become like a secondary ball handler like i think um there's a lot to get out of both of them, but I think you're still probably putting most of your chips in on Jaden. So again, it would just depend on, on what the, the word thinks. But to me, like that's a no brainer. Like I legitimately think they're, again, it would depend if it's a different draft order. Like let's say if the Pelicans had gotten the first overall pick, I would take Jaden one. Like, I don't really think that it's a question. Like I think 
entirely possible because he's ends up the best player in the class. So um, he's good. He's going to be so good. I can't yeah, wait. You, you take it the, just the be, bet on that. It would be amazing. I would be very in on that happening. Yeah. Yeah. I do think, or just real quick, just the other cool thing that I think you talked about maybe boxing in Halliburton a little bit. I do think that maybe this, like playing next to Halliburton, you could maybe see him develop more as an off-ball guy as well, at least to start. I think you're like the star end outcomes end up with him becoming a primary, but I think that you could end up trying to play around with both of them becoming really strong on and off ball players. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that could be a really interesting fit, like yin yang type thing with Ivy being all rim pressure and Halliburton being no rim pressure. Yeah, no, definitely. It would be interesting too, because and especially for anybody that they draft, like they uh, they really did not lean into being a transition team with Halley. Like they did the pre-All-Star, but then post-All-Star, they didn't really do it as much, which was kind of disheartening. So I feel like, I mean, as you guys know, getting the most out of like guys like Tyrese or Emmanuel quickly is like you have to let them run and and, and make quick decisions and do shit and, and uh, you know, flying off, uh, off misses. And they didn't really do that. Rick Carlisle really slowed down the offense. If they're... Like, I mean, again, it'll be very telling. So I think even like if you do, like that's who Caitlin and I did the pot on for tomorrow. Like if you do draft somebody like Benedict Matherin, like you're getting, you're, you're reducing some of his impact if you're not letting him get out and run all the time, like let it happen. So it, it'll be, again, a lot's just going to be dependent on what they do or don't do. Yeah. I mean, well, to be fair, if they draft Ivy, I don't think you can't not <laughs> yeah, run exactly. with Ivy. Like he will just see there's two people and he'll just beat them both down the floor so at a certain point like talent will dictate it but we all do know that rick carlisle has a thing for uh control on every possession yeah. so uh i think that's a that's about good on the six pick well I, actually real fast mark uh i think you basically just said it with ivy but is there a dream selection for you at six uh dream selection for me is paolo like if somehow if somehow they can make paolo happen it's not going to happen but I will say, like, it's been really weird how he's been pushed by every major draft board and uh, down to the third pick. I haven't really understood that. Like, pretty much since the national title game, they've just determined that Powell is not worthy of the first or second overall pick, which I find odd, um, especially considering how good he was during the tournament run. But they did not ask me. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, if, like, again, it's not going to happen. But, like, even if there was, if there was like, a trade-up scenario, I would – all in on that like they've just never had a player like like Paolo in terms of being able to you know have that size not be a complete defensive liability create shots and and be a plus playmaker like that I I mean that's the kind of player that you do anything to get yeah I mean Paolo would be my dream pick anywhere because uh you know more P&W anywhere it's never hurt anyone so (laughs) uh but yeah uh that's the Pacers worked out Marjan so it's uh, you know I you can't steal Marjan from me because I I don't know why but I have this desperate desire for the Spurs to draft Tari and Marjan like every time I think about it, it just makes me very happy inside. the chaos so, draft I'd be very in on that well plus the Jante so it's like it's like my trio of yeah Pacific yeah. Northwest guys so I think um that takes me to uh potential targets at 31 and and you mentioned potential trades with this maybe moving into the first round as they did last year where they traded. Aaron Holiday and the 31st pick to move up to 22 to take Isaiah Jackson, I believe. Um, so that I think worked out for him. Even if Isaiah Jackson doesn't become like a great starting player, I, I think I really like the process of that move, yeah. you know, trade up to get your guy who I think has a lot of upside and who, you know, they got to develop in at least a kind of interesting way, starting him in the G league and eventually moving him up as they moved on. So it, whether it be a 31 or, you know, they move up to the twenties or something, Mark, who are a couple of guys that stand out to you as sort of depth pieces that you think could be really interesting fits here in Indiana? Uh, a small, especially cause I was going back through and like, I watched Arizona like 10 or 11 times this year, but I went back and watched a bunch of games uh, for this, this project on, on Ben. Um, Dale and Terry, man, like I know he's done really well for himself at the combine too. Like he looked like somebody who was, even like obviously like we knew he was going to come out and um and go to the combine but it seemed much more like he was going to go back for next year and based on everything that's come out he's getting more first round buzz um 
And after watching play, I'm very in on that. Like, I think his shot got better throughout the year. He tweaked his release. I still have questions like his feet are really close together on his shot. So it's not really very versatile right now. But um, in terms of like just bringing somebody with size and feel and passing ability and um, and defense, like a real like defensive aptitude and ability to guard some bigger wings, uh, I would be so in on Dale and Terry at 31. Like I, there's that would be an easy pick for me um Jabari Walker is a guy who I think should be a first round pick he probably won't be just based on how everything's going but I would take him 31 of the Pacers easily um I think like again like if he was it's easy to say but like Colorado was just a very weird roster and situation this year the Pac-12 kind of sucked so people didn't pay as much attention to them I think if he plays in the ACC he gets a lot more buzz for for what he could be doing um but I'm I'm again something I'm very in on Another guy who I don't think is going to fall that far, but might if Jake Laravia is at 31, definitely. Like I love Jake Laravia. Um, I just got around to Wake Forest for the first time a couple of weeks ago, and I uh, I I'm sad that it took me this long because I would very much like Jake Laravia to be like he's just going to be a good player wherever he goes. Um, I, I as far as like guys at 31, like that's probably like I mean there are plenty of players who are interesting, but I think those would be like the three that I'm I'm very intrigued by yeah terry's another guy who you have to you have to run if you have dalen terry i mean that's what made him so successful at arizona in a lot of yep. ways was that arizona was the most potent transition team in um in the country this year basically i got to see it live and uh you know it was a close game and then just randomly in about a 45 second stretch they scored 15 points and it was no longer a close game and that's just that's, that's how Arizona felt playing this year. So um, I liked Dale Terry a lot. Brought up two Pac-12 guys, so obviously you're welcome back on the pod anytime. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Jabari Walker wasn't a weird. So like Colorado, he was alternating basically between playing the three and the five uh, on both ends of the floor because they couldn't decide what they want to do with Evan Batty because Evan Batty love him to death, I guess, but can't defend, right? Like he, they had to super hard hedge every screen with Evan Batty. So they would try and have um, Jabari Walker be kind of the cleanup normal five back in the middle. And it was just whack. And then Tristan Da Silva was very inconsistent as a shooter and closeout attacker. Uh, so Jabari Walker just had to take a lot of shots sometimes and he looked good sometimes and he looked very bad other times. And I just think that in general, he's such an easy bet for me. And especially like at 31, you know, you get him on a second round contract. Like he's a, he's someone who can play the four who I think um, at the end of games, if you have to go to like a switch, everything uh, system, he can, he can step in and play the five. The footwork is pretty solid. I just think just a, a really easy guy to bet on. Um, Coop, is there anyone that stands out to you as someone who might be around at 31 who the Pacers could look to grab? Well, Mark forgot the best player in the Pac-12 last year. Uh, Christian Coloco uh, mentioned the two other players who were worse than him on his own team. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, wow. uh, no, I, I love Coloco. I think you talked about wanting to move these guys to the five or from the five to the four. Uh, you know, if they trade Miles Turner, don't bring back another five. I think Coloco's a super easy, like basically fits in any scheme, uh, can do some cool passing, some cool outlet passing, great interior score, quick leaper, everything you want in a big. I will probably talk about him on every single pod that we do for one of these, because I think every single team can use like a borderline elite backup big who can probably start some games for you. Uh I do like Jabari Walker. I, I love, and you talked about Jake LaRavia. That was going to be my guy who I was like, you know, somebody who can kind of be a connector, can do some closeout attacking, uh, just really, really solid. Uh, like we talked about earlier, can go either way for winning or not winning. Uh, if they decide to lean into the not winning, I would love to see them get like a Peyton Watson and play around with some of the offense next to guys who create gravity uh, on the perimeter, like Halliburton and, you know, some of the vets who I think he could learn from, and then also bring like an interesting dimension on defense, though that's probably a bit idealistic because Rick Carlisle would not let him touch the floor. Uh, I think he'd kill it in Fort Wayne though. Uh, so I think it could be a fun, 
more more so theoretically but in my head it'll it's a good fit yeah uh taking this a slightly different direction i don't know where the stock on these two guys are but i feel like one of them is going to slip to around 31 uh one of kennedy chandler or quavion smith i think would be a really interesting fit here um i still think that halliburton should play at least some minutes as the two and not the primary initiator i still think that um the rim pressure is just not there with him and, and i'd like to see you know occasionally pairing him with someone who can just get to the rim pretty consistently uh they're obviously chandler and turk are very very different like they do that in different ways um but i think they'd both be interesting fits next to halliburton and at least give you another option because I don't want him, I don't want like Halliburton playing the two next to like McConnell who has to have the ball. Like I think both Turk and Chandler can play without the ball a little bit. Turk more than, than Chandler probably, though Chandler's probably the better player like right now if they're going to play immediately. So however you want to look at that. Um, but just like getting him with someone who can, who in, in small minutes can come off the bench and and take the ball up and, and run some pick and roll to at least start the action. I think both those guys are interesting fits there. Stone, is there anyone you had at 31? Yeah, so there's two kind of maybe more pipe dreams and then two that have some more confidence will be there at 31. Uh, so I'll, I'll kind of run through them quickly. Uh, Bryce McGowan's and Blake Wesley, I think there's a chance maybe one of them falls to 31. I'm not sure how likely that percentage is. I have a, sort of a tough grasp on where those guys are going to go this year. But if one of them are still there at 31, I think that's a really intriguing bet. Um more so long-term to, to for the Pacers, um, especially I really like Wesley. I think that he would be awesome um, as somebody who can be sort of a, a defensive playmaker yet also um, thrive as uh, an off-ball guy that Halliburton finds and can be slowly developed if the Pacers do choose to go more that way. Um, and then two guys that uh, I think will probably be there at 31. You never really know who's going to go in the late second round, but um, Justin Lewis would be sort of interesting to me uh, as a second round bet, someone that I think can really shoot as a catch and shoot guy. Um, and with the tools that he has should be an interesting bet as an impactful defender. Um, not necessarily the, the, the playmaker defensively that you would have hoped with the, the tools that he has at Marquette, but I think that there's room for maybe that to, for maybe some of that to translate. Uh, hopefully long-term. And then uh, Josh Minot. I really like Josh Minot as uh, a wing bet at 31. I think that he can be, again, if the Pacers tend to choose someone that's more um, a long-term bet, I think that Josh Minot fits that really well. Uh, even though the shot's not really there yet, I think that defensively he could be really intriguing. Um, and I think he's an underrated passer. I think if you're going more for that run and gun type thing, Minot can really uh, excel in that sort of environment so he'd be a really interesting bet there for me as well yeah uh, I, I think that's a pretty good breadth of guys for potential at 31 or as we mentioned maybe a trade-up it's it's hard to tell like this draft more than most I've been exposed to in recent memory like I have a very tough time decoding the line between like 20 and 40 like it's very it just feels very bunched up most drafts like I, I at least feel comfortable through you know 22 at least like I, this is like the top like all these guys are first rounders or very early second rounder. I mean last year like Deuce and Sharif fell but for the most part like you know you're like these are the guys and then uh this this year you know again it's still early on in the process in some ways but I just I'm I'm at a loss at, with some of these guys but just for fun I think the 60th pick is generally what I would call a fake pick. Um, la I, I can't even remember last year's 60th pick. This year it's the 58th pick. Yeah. That's, that's true. Technically it is the 58th pick, but it is list listed at 60th on Tankathon. The almighty was Marcus Zagorowski last year. He was 49. Cause that's he what was? weirded me out was like, I went back and looked at it and I'm like, Oh, he must've been in the fifties. Cause there were a couple guys in the fifties who didn't get contracts even last year. I like Zego. It was the, yeah. the 60th pick was uh, the Panathinaikos legend, Georgios Kalitsakis. <laughs> That's okay. yes. Okay. Yeah. That's right. He um, really made an impact for the, the Milwaukee Bucks. Didn't he get cut? Oh man. But yeah. So Probably. anyways, 60th pick, kind of a fake pick. Um, I, I we'll talk about some guys who I think are legit, like 
worth giving a look at, at the 60th pit, pick in a UDFAs. And then just for fun, let's all pick the guy who we think is like, this guy is probably the 60th pick. And just, you know, maybe if one of us gets it right, you'll get a prize of some sort. I don't know. Um, Mark, I'll throw this to you. Uh, you know, are there any guys who you think might fall to 60 or more likely to the undrafted range that, that you think the Pacers should be looking to target? Oh man, uh, this one's tough. Like I don't, not, not to be rude or make it sound like I don't think that those guys are NBA players, but like a lot of the guys who I would be super interested uh, that I would have closer to first round grades who ended up going back to school that were getting like second round grades, like obviously like TSJ, like honestly, like I, I know it's not a popular take. I think Trace Jackson Davis is going to be a solid NBA player. He just went back. Um, like if Musa Diabate doesn't go back to Michigan, that would be interesting to me. But I also think he really needs to go back to school for a year. Um, especially like, I, I don't know. I just think it's always important for people to remember, like he's not going to get buy-in from a team if he goes 60th overall. Like that's just not useful for him. It's not useful for the team. Like, got to get to a level where a team is willing to put a couple of years into you, especially when you're somebody with, you know, where he's at with the skill set. Like he definitely needs time to round out where he's at. Um, maybe. Okay. I have another one. Uh, Michael Foster Jr. Is getting drafted. Like it's going to happen. Uh, a G like they are not letting G league night guys fall out of the draft. I'm just telling you right now. I do not. I think i getting drafted then too. Well, no. okay, that's different. But like, uh, hey, I Fambo's, love Fambo. I, I actually Fambo. like Fambo a lot. He's probably like not quite there uh, from from an NBA skill standpoint. But like, he was fun defensively. Um, but no, for me, like Michael Foster, like I was shocked to see what he looks like now. Like he actually, I think I want to say Schmitz tweeted out that he dropped twenty pounds since the G League United season ended. Um, I still don't know how much stock I have in him as an NBA player. He is a like when he is doing things quickly. The shot is legit. Like there is a very real potential uh, switchable forward who shoots, but everything else I have a lot of questions about as does anybody uh, who has watched the G league night play for five minutes. But if he's legitimately putting in the work to become that, like that, the stuff that I think you really wanted to see from him. Um, I think that he's interesting, you know, like, especially for somebody who they're not going to let go undrafted. Yeah, I, I think you mentioned Musa Diabate, and that's something. So, like, I personally, I write for Kook Center, and I've uh, had to talk with some people, like, who aren't as into the NBA draft about both Muhammad Gay and F.A. Abagidi and sort of, like, the situations they're in. And it's just, like, they're players with something to gain going back to school. Like, so if they're not going to be selected top 50, they're probably not going to stay in the draft. Like there are some guys who it's worth it to go be a UDFA. Like I think of Trayvon Duvall as someone where it's like he, it was worth it for him to go be a UDFA, but like, that's not gay. That's probably not Diabate. And it's definitely not FA because FA didn't get invited to either combine. But um, for me, my pick to go 60th is Malcolm Casalon because he'll never, ever come over. Probably he's probably going to stay overseas. Um, just like, um, uh, the Kings drafted someone 60th a couple of years ago who's like, has it come over and is probably never going to come over. I want to say that was like 2016, but I'm Vonja Marinkovic, I think. Um, I might be getting that mixed up. But anyways, uh, I, I think that like, it'll probably be someone like that. It'll be Kazalon. Kazalon's been on the radar forever. As far as guys I actually think are worth a look, um, I think... <sighs> This is, I've brought him up a couple of times. I think Jamal Biennemi is like really underrated and should get a two-way. Like he is kind of similar to like Edmund Sumner with like less bounce, um, but a very interesting kind of ball handler passer who I think can probably shoot, though it's kind of questionable. He's older, he played at UTEP, so there's those questions, but um, I just think he's just really solid and gets underrated as sort of a potential good undrafted guy. And then the other guy I'll go with is, is again, someone else I brought up a ton is Lester Quinones from Memphis. I just think that he's just very, like a very sound off ball player. He just does good things. He played in a system at Memphis where um, playing off the ball doesn't matter. They didn't have the passers to make off ball players work. 
you know, like he didn't get rewarded for the simple rises out of the corner as someone drives middle to give them space or, you know, like, like his point of attack defense is really solid. He has very, very good footwork, even if he's not an elite athlete. Like, I, I don't know. I think Quinones, I have him as draftable. Like I, I really like Quinones. So um, that's, that's someone who I'd give a look. Uh, Coop Stone, do you guys have picks for who's going to go 60? The, the better Memphis player uh, after Mark stole my guy that I was going to go with. Uh, I'd say DeAndre Williams, uh, just six eight six nine, mega old. So I I could see that being a reason he doesn't get drafted super high. But Raekwon great vibes, basically. Yeah, yeah, and I loved Raekwon. Uh, <laughs> for what it's worth, oh, he was awesome. But DeAndre can pass. He can do some interior exterior passing. Uh, can shoot it. Can do some mid range shot creation. Uh, just like an interesting bench wing who probably can't get schemed off the floor in the playoffs if he actually gets playing time i have another just to be annoying somebody this is, <laughs> this is so i can beat my own drum bryson williams is going to find time in the nba at some point i don't know for how long but i love bryson williams like he is good he was texas tech's best player for for stretches this season and in the tournament um and if i mean i think if a team believes in the shot at all like he's pretty viable um so i'll be interesting I, I cannot wait for PD's piece. But yeah, uh, Stone, your pick for 60th. Yeah, uh, I have two guys. I'll run through it quickly because I know we're spending the most amount of time per usual on the 60th pick, and that's probably everyone's least favorite part. But uh, I'm going to go with one of – so I would pick Tom Digbo at 60. I think he's a draftable guy. I know a lot of people probably don't. Um, maybe it's just my Australian bias, but I think that – He's a really good perimeter defender, and even though he's a little bit older, uh, he is an, an impressive passer in certain aspects, uh, especially in terms of like more um, cutting and off-the-moves type stuff. Uh, but I think the more likely NBL prospect to get drafted would be uh, Luke Travers after the um, he was able to sort of show himself to combine attendees. Uh, I think that uh, teams will just be more likely to buy into a big man, theoretically, who can handle the ball in the open court and pass, um, again, theoretically. But uh, I think that he is probably the more likely NBL guy of the two to get drafted. Tom Digbo played with uh, the GOAT, Robert Franks. So, you know, of course, I'm a big fan. Um Mark, this has been excellent. I know we've taken up a ton of your time. We can't thank you enough for coming on. Before we get out of here, we like to let, we like to ask our people who do have a sort of knowledge of the draft, just if they were to keep all three picks, what would be like your dream outcome? Uh, that's somewhat in reality, but like you can fudge reality a little bit. If you add the Infinity Gauntlet and you could get three guys who sort of make sense, like who is your, like they're leaving the draft with these three players at 6, 31, and 60 uh yeah that's a good question uh let's do let's do jay and ivy say that he somehow falls a six not gonna happen but it sounds nice uh let's do dale and terry at 31 and then at 60 let's just say by the grace of god patrick baldwin jr falls 60 uh and they get him there it's not gonna happen but it sounds nice that is uh that's a fun one i i we didn't talk about pbj here um some of the stuff that people are saying, man, it's just like, yeah, he's, he's like still like 20 years old. I don't know. He didn't like kill anyone. He's just like had a bad year at Milwaukee. I don't know like what some people are. It's, it's very weird how people like ride the hate train for prospects. I just, I'll never get it. Um, But Mark, again, we cannot thank you enough for coming on again. I'll, I'll link all his great work um, down below. One of the best WNBA writers does great work for basketball news. And then I'm probably the biggest indie cornrows fan who isn't a Pacers fan out there. Like I listen to every episode. Caitlin Cooper is the foremost basketball genius. I write down notes on everything she says, I swear. Um, so just, I, I'm just a big fan of your work, Mark. And again, I consider you one of my better Twitter friends. So it was great to have you on. It was great to chop it up. Let people know if there's anywhere else they can find you and, and plug yourself to your heart's consent. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's always fun to talk, uh, whether it's uh, on here or on Twitter. Um, find me on Twitter at MG underscore Schindler. That's the best place to find me. Um, I am still not full-time employee to cover basketball, but I do do it full-time. 
uh, any support you guys can throw my way, not, not you guys in particular, but just uh, anybody listening. If you enjoy my work, um, I have a Patreon uh, that's in my Twitter bio. So would appreciate it. Yeah, definitely go get that a follow. He does great work. Uh, but yeah, this was great. Again, thanks again to Mark for just being one of the best out there. He's at MG underscore Schindler. That's S-C-H-I-N-D-L-E-R. Uh, for Coop at Ollie underscore Oop underscore Coop. For Stone at Report underscore Court. For me at Bryce 14. You can follow us at Upside Swings. Give us a like, rating, review, all that fun stuff on your pro- podcasting app of choice. Bambi, please stop chewing on my desk. Um, this has been the Upside Swings NBA Draft Podcast. We hope we hit our ceiling. Thank you. We once again like to thank our sponsors at GlobalShopSolution.com. Simplify your manufacturing and schedule a demo today at GlobalShopSolutions.com. Thank you.